we lift our voices to you after singing this song particularly. Being reminded that you are our tower of refuge and you are our strength, God. We thank you that in these days like today, in these many, many weeks stacked on top of each other, weeks that have been so difficult, months that have been so uncertain, and so many things that have been changing and uh, shifting around us, so much that has been canceled, so many feelings of loss. God, we come to you, and we seek out your refuge, you, God, as a refuge. Not a particular place, but you, a person, a loving God, the creator of all that is. And so we lift our hearts to you, especially on this, uh, the anniversary of 9-11, as we record this service. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would hold us in your strength. There have been so many things recently in the world that have reminded us about how little control we have and how fragile our lives really are. And God, we, we are not crushed by that thought. We are not overwhelmed by that thought because we know that we rush into your good arms, your loving embrace, and because of that, we rejoice. Because of that, we really have comfort. Because of you, Lord Jesus, and because of the power of the resurrection, we have renewed strength in our life. We are able to persevere through challenges, and we thank you. Because we know that, that the difficulties of the life that we live right now are not the end of the story. We know that you have already promised and ensured so many better things ahead for us in your good timetable, and we rejoice in that. We lay hold of that today in our minds and in our hearts so that we might move forward together with you as our leader, Good Shepherd. And we thank you, we thank you in the name of Jesus together now. Amen. Amen. I too want to welcome you to the service indeed as we record here on this Friday, uh, just before Sunday morning. Uh, it is the anniversary, almost two decades ago, of the, the catastrophe in New York City and the World Trade Center in Washington, D.C., and uh, a field in Pennsylvania, all of the, uh, the memorial spots for uh, the many lives that were lost and so many stories of heroism in the midst of great fear, of great uncertainty, and uh, we remember this day and this weekend together as a nation. We are anticipating, we hope, on Sunday morning the 13th to have a, an outdoor worship service together. We are monitoring air quality over the weekend, and uh, if indeed we've had to cancel that service, we are so happy to share this moment with you. But if you were unable to or chose not to come to the outdoor service, even if it happened, we're so happy that you uh, have joined us on this uh, medium today. We're so delighted in that. I want you to know uh, that uh, the last Sunday of September, September 27th, we are going to have a virtual family meeting and make some decisions together about uh, some annual things that, that are upcoming. One of those is to be uh, making a decision about adopting the vision of the church and the language that we've been talking through in these recent weeks. And I've been sharing with you on uh, these worship broadcasts as well as through emails. And uh, we've provided some opportunities for conversations. 
uh, about the vision. And so uh, check your email for more details about that. There are two more coming up in this week, and uh, we'd love to invite you if you have questions or just are seeking more clarity about uh, what uh, the Leadership Council means uh, with certain aspects of the vision that I am so delighted and think it's going to really carry us forward as a church together. Finally, this morning, I uh, just want to encourage you to continue to be praying about your partnership with our church, with this, your church, in the next calendar year, 2021, as we will begin our new budget. We are making preparations for that budget even now, and will be over the next several weeks. The Stewardship Committee will be helping guide the process of preparing a budget uh, for the coming year. But your uh, commitments, your uh, expressing to the church what you uh, are anticipating, uh, sharing in financially with the church is really helpful in our preparation. So if you could please take a minute to either email Stephen Aoki, uh, what your commitment to financially might be this coming year, or send in by mail uh, your uh, contribution statement and letting us know. There's just a handful of people who ever see what your individual commitment is. I am not among those, uh, and so that is really something we hold in great uh, trust and uh, privacy, and so we just would enjoy knowing and appreciate knowing uh, how you are sensing God leading you in financial partnership for the coming year for the church. Uh, we are so delighted to be and blessed to be uh, led in music and worship aspects uh, by Steve Howell and all of the great contributions that he is making through especially these months uh, and all of his expertise in pulling together our choir and blending together uh, virtually uh, the choir song that you will hear uh, just now. Be blessed. processes and individually engage in those process processes 
for helping develop and raise up future generations of people who love and trust God. And that is what we're focused on today. Not just uh, for parents who have children in the home this day or, or in this season of life. That's not the, the only focus of this particular value. And Psalm 78 is going to help us understand a little bit more about what we mean in uh, a church and a, a community of faith being mindful of future generations. Let's read together a few verses from Psalm 78 as they, it tells us why. The Bible says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. I want to repeat these two verses. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. You see, this, this passage actually is helping us with a telescopic view into the future. It's not just talking about the next generation. It's not just talking about children of the church. It's not just talking about their grandchildren. It's talking about great-grandchildren, and I think by extension, even beyond that. The remaining 64 verses of this Psalm 78 is really interesting because they tell of God's love as it has been expressed as Savior. God rescued them out of captivity in Egypt. The great uh, watershed moment of Old Testament faith in God's work and power. It describes God expressing his love as guide, as he would uh, carefully and lovingly uh, navigate them through the uncharted territory that uh, when they left Egypt as they were preparing to go into the promised land. And then finally his provider. These three things, these are uh, three of the character qualities that God has described as expressing his love to the people as Savior, as guide, and as provider along the way, providing water for them and food for them and, and all that they needed along the way. And those verses, the rest of the psalm, I really invite you to read the rest of the psalm this week because it is so fascinating to hear a recounting of, of God's goodness to the people, even when they weren't so good back to God, of God's faithfulness to the people, even when they weren't so faithful back to God. In fact, the Bible says... That God always remains faithful even if you and I are faithless in our response to Him. Because you see, instead of trusting God, we find a recounting in Psalm 78 that the people tested God. Instead of trusting God, they found themselves testing Him instead. And if you're like me, you, you, it's easy to, 
to go back and recount all that God did in the Old Testament for the people. And how could they end up, after seeing all that God had done in their life, end up moving away or end up lacking trust for Him? After all He had done in their past, how could they not trust Him for their future? And yet, when I ask myself that question, I quickly follow up with another question. How about you, Bryce? How is it that you have seen God move in your life in the past? And yet you can struggle to trust God for the future yet to come. And how often do you and I test God with our lack of faith instead of trusting Him? Because faith is not faith if it is not lived out in the midst of uncertainty. That is the very definition of faith. And we are living in a season that calls forth faith and trust in God. And that is just what God wants to develop in you in seasons like this. We sometimes ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? That's a question. God wants to work in the challenges of your life so that your faith might be called forth and you will learn to experience God in deeper ways, in ways that you would never experience and encounter without the challenges and trials that God allows in your life. You see, the people in Psalm 78, instead of trusting God, they tested God. They tested Him, the Bible says, in three different times. It comes back to this idea that they tested God. They tested Him with their self-centeredness. You see, instead of being focused on what mattered most to God, and letting God be God, they, they, they would wrap themselves, kind of like I can do, and maybe you too, in focus on myself and how is this issue affecting me and how is this problem bearing down on me instead of asking what does God want to do through it. It was self-centeredness. One of my favorite musicians who's a Christian, he died some many years ago, Rich Mullins, many of you know the name. He tells a story when he was at a friend's house, a friend uh, who had children, and as he sat on the front porch with this friend, uh, this young child, uh, I don't know, must have been two or three years old, uh, asked his parents for something. The parents said no, and you know what the child did? The child threw himself on his back, right on the floor of the porch, and began to kick and flail and move his arms and pump them back and forth and cry. And you know, you know what he was doing. He was throwing a temper tantrum. Why are temper tantrums? They're, they're kind of amusing because we watch it. We can't really hardly believe it because we know that the child, all they want is what they want in that moment. It doesn't matter what anyone else has said or what anyone else thinks of them. They're stomping their feet and they're flailing their hands. And, and I want what I want. And Rich Mullins describes in that moment, he watched that child hit the floor on his back flailing his arms and legs in the air, throwing this temper tantrum because he couldn't get what he wanted. And he said he immediately stood up after watching that and he fled off of that porch in tears because God used that moment as a reminder. God tapped him on the shoulder and said, Rich, there are times in your life when you can be like that with me. There are times in your life when you've asked me for something and i said no, or you've asked me for something and I've said wait, or you've asked me for something and I've not yet responded, and you will throw a temper tantrum, stomping your feet and flailing your arms because you want what you want. And it's self-centered living. And Rich Mullins describes running off that porch in tears 
of repentance because he didn't want to be self-centered. He wanted all of his life to be centered in the presence and beauty of God. Instead of asking God, what does God want? The people in the psalm often came back to the place of simply saying, this is what I want. Self-centeredness is a way that the people tested God. Self-centeredness. Self-centered living is a way that you and I often test God as well. A second way they tested God was through amnesia, through simple forgetfulness. And uh, they too easily forgot how God powerfully had rescued them out of captivity and, and set them free and how he tenderly cared for them. Uh, as time goes on, as time moves on from significant moments of your past where you've seen God move in power, where you've seen God provide from you for you, when you've seen God and remember the way he delivered you out of the captivity of sin and bondage and slavery there and set you free to live with him. And as time goes on, we can be forgetful people and we can end up finding ourselves testing God when future issues arrive on our doorstep instead of trusting God. That's We're not... So unlike the people of the Bible. In fact, in many ways, we're just like them. The third way that the people tested God was through their idolatry. Through their idolatry. You see, it was self-centeredness, amnesia, and idolatry were the three ways that this psalm describes the people testing God instead of trusting God. And what they would do with idolatry uh, is that they would set up something else that they would focus themselves on, that they would put their trust in it to provide for them, whether it was rain for crops or protection from this enemy or provision in some other way. Instead of trusting God, they would test God and they would put something else instead of God at the center of their life. And you and I, even though we, uh, many of us, most of us don't pull out carvings of, of statues that are idols on our mantle shelf, but we too can have idols in our life, and, and we can trust in our job and, and in the financial provision that our job provides for our future. We can trust in, in a particular relationship to deliver us out of something. We can trust that, that the right president will always rescue us out of all the problems that we have, or whatever it might be. We can put up idols in our life where we begin to trust in something else in place of God, and that's how the people tested God instead of trusting Him. And that is also how you and I can test God instead of trusting Him. But God in this psalm is calling the community of faith, He's calling the church, uh, by extension He's calling us to help the next generation learn to trust God. To help the next generation learn to trust God. In various Bible translations, we read in the NIV that they are to put their trust in God. Another version says that they might set their hope in God. Yet another version says that they could put their confidence in God. Hope, trust, and confidence. These are all future-based words. That I trust and I center myself in confidence in God that whatever comes, I will walk with God into it. Believing and trusting Him. So, how is it, if this is part of what a church is supposed to be, if a community of faith like ours is supposed to be focused on future generations, how might we do that? I'm glad you asked. A couple of ways uh, that I hope are very practical. First is, is it's a combination of church and home. A combination of, of life together as a community of faith among other brothers and sisters 
and what happens at home, and the two blend together. They intersect together, and that's how God, I believe, has intended it to be. It's not just about parents and grandparents, of course. They have uh, significant responsibilities, absolutely, and great opportunities. And it's so important that parents uh, prioritize the spiritual formation of your children and not simply leave it for a church to do or a particular school to do, that God desires for you to be engaged intentionally and to be making ways uh, for your children to be raised up to love and to trust God in their life. It requires intentionality. It requires uh, planning things in a regular way. It requires engaging in unplanned ways. I've preached other sermons. In fact, I did a whole uh, uh, doctoral thesis around this whole topic. And so uh, I can give you more ideas, but I want to focus more on the church aspect today because that's why a church has ministries designed for children and ministries designed for teenagers and our youth. It's so that the community of faith and the generations in the church can be together helping support what God is doing at home so that they can be among their peers, finding support among their peers so that they can grow up together to trust God. And all adults can be part of this ministry of the church. And regardless of what your current home makeup might be, you can be praying regularly for the lives of the children of this church and the youth of this church that they would encounter Jesus and praying for their salvation and praying that, that they would come to a deeper awareness of God and that God would place a hunger and thirst in them that is only satisfied in walking with Jesus. You can engage when we are able to be back in person again. That day will come. It will come. I know it's much longer than any of us want, but it will come, and we will be back together again one day. And, and I want to encourage you to be thinking even now how you as, as an adult person hearing my voice today about how you might engage the children and youth of this church in conversation. And yeah, they may not be the greatest conversationalists always, or, uh, but it, it is just a way of engaging them. It, you may consider how you uh, might participate in sharing in a season of ministry to one of these age groups. And it's sharing of the stories that God has done in your life and, and helping to be around them so that the wisdom of your your uh, agedness, of your, uh, what do I want to say, maturity in the faith, uh, where that, that can be brought to bear and shared with these younger lives because they need you. Younger lives... They, they don't need to be independent from others of faith. In fact, it's quite the contrary. They need time together with other older adults, and it is so critical for it. The goal for the church is generational engagement. That's why, as part of our uh, uh, value statement, we talk about this generational and family of God and generational connectedness. Because this is looking at, at church and generational life through the lens of the church, not just a parent's eyes. Here's, here's the, another significant area about that way that we as a church can participate in generational blessing for us. And that's very simply by sharing your personal growth with younger lives. Sharing your personal growth in the Lord Jesus with younger lives. Now that may sound like the most simple statement, and it is, but it's not something I think we do 
all that consistently uh, in many churches and even in ours. And here's what I mean by that. You can only give to others. You can only share with them what you already have. And so it's a challenge for you to ask God to examine your life and to help you be growing in your spiritual life. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years. You still have growth to do and areas of, of letting God lead you. And, and as he does that, you have tremendous opportunities to share those stories with younger lives, to become uh, an example, to become some sort of an aspiration or an inspiration for them. And you might think even, you might be shaking your head and your heart today and saying, no, the, the, the things in my life are so small, they can never inspire anybody. And I just tell you, that's just not true. Don't let the devil silence what God has done in your life. Be ready and free and joyful in sharing that with others. Share about your personal growth, but you cannot give what you do not have. In other words, are you growing? That's the question. And as you're growing, you have tremendous things. You have tremendous life to offer uh, those of younger uh, in our our church. You know, kids have a really great meter in their lives. They, they know how to monitor when, when adults are being real with them. You know, younger lives, they, they have an ability to cut through and to discern if, if you're really pulling their chain or not. And if you're talking... If you're talking about stuff that's not true in your life, they'll know it. What the younger lives of a church need are authentic adults who are growing in their faith, not perfect, but who are growing in their faith to be sharing that journey with them. That is what probably the number one thing they need most in their life are loving adults sharing their spiritual experiences with them. If you're growing, the kids will know it. Younger lives will know it. And the inverse is also true. If you're not growing, guess what? They will know that too. Kids need to see, younger lives need to see, youth, the teenagers need to see the way you respond to hard times. How you trust God even when things are, are difficult. How you trust God even when uh, you can't see what's next. You trust God even when your life feels shrouded in fog and you don't know where you are or where you're going, but you have determined to trust God. That's what they need. They need you. They need to see your confidence in God. Not pretend, but your confidence in God. Do you trust Him? They need to see you trust God through good times as well. And perhaps this has been... Uh, the, the ointment of, of undoing in many ways in our culture today is that the blessing of God has provided so much abundance in our life that I think often people in our, our country and our society have drifted away from dependence upon God because of an over-accumulation of, of good things in their life. In good times, when the stock market is soaring and your investment accounts are thriving, when your house equity is ballooning, when you get a pay raise or a new relationship, uh, your kids are successful, whatever it is, whatever the markers you were looking at uh, for the good time of life, kids and younger lives, teenagers need to see how you continue to trust God and set Him center and central in your life, even through the good times. Do you continue to brag on God 
even through the, chan- uh, the goodness and the good moments as well as the tough moments. You speak. It's helpful for us to know, too, that spiritual growth, just like for you, but for younger lives, it, kids in, in younger lives are more like crockpots and they are microwaves. You've heard me say this before. But, you know, I love microwaves. I love when I first got one, how quickly it cooked things. And, and you know how microwaves work. You punch it in and a few minutes. Uh, you, you can have what sometimes used to take hours to bake. But a crockpot is not at all the same. You put something in a crockpot and it, it needs time to, to marinate itself. And it slowly heat up and things are prepared over a longer period of time. Instead of, instead of uh, 30 seconds, it's more like 8 hours for many dishes in a crockpot. But spiritual life... And development is a lot like that as well. It takes a long time of simmering and a long time of, of preparation, a long time of hearing, and a long time of seeing older adults making application for the spiritual truths they claim to believe in and watching how their lives adapt to the, the changes and challenges of life as they trust God. The younger lives are learning to also trust God as you trust God Younger lives around you are also learning how to trust God. We see this through the scripture. You see it with Moses. Before Moses ever went to stand before Pharaoh, there was a time of developing and growth in him. He was on the backside of the mountain all by himself before he ever stood before Pharaoh. Before David ever went to stand before Goliath. There was time out in the field of tending the sheep and seeing the strength that God gave him in the midst of, uh, of attacks. And uh, it's David's life that was prepared slowly over time for the work that God had for him. And it's David's life at the end of the psalm, the very last verse of the psalm, he is offered up as an example. He is given as an example of one who had an integrity of heart and skillful hands in the way that he led the people. And he's described as one who was after God's own heart, not a perfect life by any measure, but one who trusted God. He's an example of trust and faithfulness toward God, just like all adults need to be for the younger generations around us. Here's our value once again. At TBC, we value thriving families where we nurture relationships as the family of God. By intentionally connecting generations and equipping parents for spiritual leadership. It's both the church and the home working together so that future generations might be raised up to trust and love and honor God in all ways. Living God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word from your good psalm book. We pray, God, that you would take this which we have heard and and uh, thought about today, and that you, Holy Spirit, through the rest of the days ahead, that you might call it to mind, you would let it work itself over and over in our hearts and minds, and you would, you would do your work in us. Because your word, we trust, is living and active. May it do its work in us. So that we might be approved workmen, approved workwomen in your good kingdom. For the sake of future generations, may our lives be faithful. Not just for my future. Not just so that I can hear well done and faithful, good and servant when I see you at the end of my days here. That's not the only motivation. 
for desiring to trust you and so that other generations might see me and us as examples of walking in faith and trust with you. So fill us, we pray, Jesus, now in your name and for your sake.